uh, just don't coexist. So we end up banging against all the symptoms rather than having honest conversations about what our cultural heritage and what is our commonality as Americans. And that is making a big shift. And so I... Welcome back to the Joe Mobley Show. I am Joe Mobley, your host in the original Uncloseted Conservative. Guys, we've got an awesome show for you today. As always, we're big on content, short on time, so we're going to jump right into it. We're talking about money. We're talking about mindset. We've got our guest, Mr. Richard Friesen. <laughs> I almost, well I almost said it wrong again. Goodness gracious. Uh, Richard, how are you? I'm doing just great. It's a beautiful day in San Jose, California. Oh man, it's it's unbelievably cold here. Uh we've got frost every night. I'm I'm very jealous. Uh so uh before I forget, guys, we're gonna be talking about all kinds of stuff. So I'll remind you now, in the middle and at the end. All you gotta do is go underneath our floating heads. Uh, if you're listening on podcast, open up the show notes uh and connect with Richard on his website. It's conversations.money. I know people Indeed. like to put .us.com, .something, so I said it slow so you understand. It's conversations.money. That's how you can get a hold of him, see what he's got going on. Uh, Richard, tell me about yourself and, and, and what you're putting out there over the airwaves. Well, one of my concerns as I'm watching my kids and grandkids grow up is the future of our nation, our culture, and our world. And I, my background is in the financial markets. Uh, way back when, Merrill Lynch, I've traded on the floors of the major exchanges in Chicago. I built my own trading firm. I built a software firm that was an online exchange. And so coming out of that, I put together a previous career, which was being a therapist. So now I'm looking at money as the kind of the canary in the minefield. If we're going back to our cultural shifts, the changes, uh, the world that my grandkids are going to see, I'm starting to see money as a real indicator of some cultural shifts. And that has some concern for me. So I wrote the book to clarify and give people the ability and invite them into a positive and a positive relationship with money. Hmm. Yeah, we were just kind of talking about in Green Room for a moment. These taboo, these topics have become taboo. I have a theory about it. Uh, a lot of people don't share my theory, but I, I think it is part of the Marxist movement, which has kind of plagued our society here. And one of those things is to make certain topics taboo, can't be spoken about. Obviously, for, for many uh, decades, you couldn't talk about politics at work. And, <laughs> and these are kind of the things that are actually important to us. But it, these top three topics 
children and child rearing, money and sex. Can't talk about any of them. But you look at relationship dynamics, you look at uh, seven out of 10 marriages ending uh, in, in many instances, and you look at why these marriages are ending, it's fights about sex, money and children slash child rearing. Uh, mm -hmm. So of course we should be talking about these things. Uh, and I love the title of the book, guys. It's a private conversation with money. It, it's something that needs to be spoken about. I was at one of the world's largest consulting firms when uh, I say when George Floyd died. That's how I say it. If you don't like the phraseology, then you guys don't have to listen to the show. Uh, and I'm, I'm at one of the world's largest consulting firms, if not the largest consulting firm now. And uh, there, there was some really irresponsible conversation about it. And it's cultural, it's political, it's, it's us versus them or law enforcement and their racial undertones and whatever. And, uh, you know, the spotlight was kind of put on me as a black man to say something, um, which, you know, <laughs> oh, the pressure. <laughs> having been former law enforcement, I'm, I'm uh, medically, uh, I guess, medically retired uh, United States soldier. Uh, U.S. Army. I couldn't. I just lost that phrase in my head. Uh, but I am a disabled U.S. Army veteran. And uh, so I'm thinking, man, they are really disparaging law enforcement and our culture and and what it is to be American on this call, which is just it's disrespectful on the face, but it's not data driven either. And this is a data driven technology consultancy. And I just said, guys, we're being so irresponsible. Our, our responsibility to society, to our clients, to ourselves uh, and anyway, but we, we need to have these conversations and money. I'm a, I'm a big Dave Ramsey guy. So we, we have our budget <laughs> yes. meetings and, uh, you know, my wife and I have our budget meetings and I'm so happy to say, um, we paid off, uh, it was during 2020. So it was during COVID year. Uh, we finished off our 93, I think it was 93.2 thousand. Um, but we did, we had a tremendous amount of debt with degrees and cars or, or college oh, yeah. loans, vehicles, um, a little bit of credit card, maybe three to 5,000. But anyway, you know, I was an E5 military. That's, that's a small income, uh, but we got it done and, uh, glad to have that monkey off my back. But these, these conversations are freeing conversations. So I've not had a chance to read the book. We actually just connected less than a week ago. Uh, so this is this is a, a quick turn for interview. But if you're not hearing it from society, thank you for putting this message out. Thank you for looking at your your kids um, or you might have said grandkids and, and yeah, being indeed, concerned of them. <laughs> yeah. And, and being concerned with what you're seeing and having the moral courage to say something under your own name. That's that's rare qualities these days. Well, what you've brought out is you hit a whole bunch of topics. So if we look at all these talk, topics as symptoms, you know, they're not disconnected. And then we start to look, go down and say, what is driving our uh, dysfunctional relationship with money, with relationships in our culture, religion, uh, with self-responsibility, work ethic, all those things. And we say, oh, they're just all sorts of like, disparate things, then we end up playing whack-a-mole. You know, how do we fix this? How do we fix that? How, but if we go down, we can see there is a huge cultural divide, and that's a cultural divide uh, among a progressive philosophy and a more traditional libertarian or conservative philosophy. 
And those two philosophies are uh, just don't coexist. So we end up banging against all the symptoms rather than having honest conversations about what our cultural heritage and w what is our commonality as Americans. And that is making a big shift. And so I chose to look at money, one of the higher level symptoms, as a canary in the minefield and say, what is our relationship to money? So I reframe money completely, and we can get into that. How, do, how is our current culture looking at money? Greedy, the wealthy are bad, we need a tax, it's a one pie system. They have so much, we have so little, and we have all these memes like that. So then the question is, you know, what is the belief system that drives that? And we can start to discuss that, open it up on an honest level. And I think, Joe, you're doing a great job of opening this conversation. Well, I, I want to start there with the pies, because I always talk about this guy, Steve Jobs, created something out of nothing. Um, so and, uh, you know, lover, hater, Ayn Rand gets a lot of flack. Uh, she's got some wacko philosophical things going on. Um, but with money, I think she got it. And um, so I, I'd like to hear uh, you kind of explain this idea of the pies, because there are so many people out there and I, I meet them and they're angry. They're at the supermarket. They're at the school board meetings. I'm sure you meet them. And they say that this is a zero sum game. This is a fixed game. The pie is this big. And for me to get a bigger slice, they've got to get a smaller slice. And we look at someone like Steve Jobs, the components of the iPhone of the MacBook, the iPad, those components existed. We had the aluminum, the silver, the glass, the whatever else goes in them. Uh, but this value was added to the world when the visionary comes along and puts those things together and makes it. And that's a whole new pie. Indeed. Not, not, uh, Bill Gates <laughs> well, so, yeah, the, smaller. <laughs> the one pie model is correct if we're looking at currency. There's mm. so much currency in the world, in the United yep. States. That's it. So if we focus on currency, then you're right. We say, well, who gets what? How do we make this fair? Now, as soon as you do that, there's winners, there's losers, and we're creating uh, a dysfunction. We're, we're creating a dysfunctional family on a national level because you are now a competitor and you are now uh, taking money from me and I got to go to Washington or my state to make sure I get my fair share of this pie. But what if, what if everyone woke up tomorrow and said, hmm, how can I deliver more value to my family, my community, my employer, my employees, my clients? How can I deliver more value to them? Let's say everybody woke up. What's going to happen to that <laughs> idea of a one pie? Like Steve Jobs, we, we can bring in, there is an incredible amount of value we can bring. So if we shift money from the idea of a limited currency to a represent, representation of the value we're going to bring mm -hmm. to the world, all of a sudden there's no argument. The question then becomes, how do we create a system? How do we create a culture? How do we create beliefs that encourage people to deliver more value to their family, their community, their employers, their employees, and the world at large?
So that's a really important distinction that you just made. The currency, the thing, and value, uh, kind of what it represents, or, or, or value more, what value can I bring to the market, to the worker, to the mm -hmm. employee, to the employer, to my community? And on the one hand, uh, just currency, the fixed pie, it's that image of Scrooge McDuck, you know, swimming in his pile coins. <laughs> yes, that and, is the picture. <laughs> yeah, so, but... So my question is, so many people have the Scrooge McDuck. Maybe we can get him, you know, edited in right here. <laughs> so many people have that. Um, I mean, honestly, they'll say it's an old, angry, stingy white guy swimming in gold coins, which is now, they'll basically describe a Dave Ramsey. It's Dave Ramsey with all of his money and he doesn't want you to have any. You listen to him for five minutes, you know, that's that's not his message at all. Mm -hmm. um, and so how do we reframe this and get it to hey, this game is actually a game of value, not values like uh, morals. It, it's a game of value, adding value to the world, yeah. bringing value to the marketplace. Like, well, what's the dialogue look like there? Well, you couldn't have asked a better question because that's what the book and my mission is about. So how do we go from a mindset of limitations, I get mine, you don't get yours, to adding value? Are you familiar with Walter Williams, the economist? Yeah, a black economist. And must have been two decades ago, I was in my car coming home, and he was interviewed on the radio. And he said, money is a certificate of appreciation. I went, holy, <laughs> I don't want to use swear words, but it was like, Oh my God, if, if, if Joe, if you give me a service and I appreciate it, I give you an appreciation in the form of certificates of appreciation. If I do something for you, you give me certificates of appreciation. So what if we all forgot about the sense of currency and money and limitations and one buy, but what if we all were eager to deliver value and receive certificates of appreciation. Now, this is pretty scary. Now, we all know there's fraud. There's people who con other people. There's uh, all sorts of people who cheat, and they, they, they get currency for that. But let's just set those aside for a moment. And if you're delivering value, and here's the shocker, so everyone kind of take a breath, relax for a moment, the more certificates of appreciation you collect, the more value you've delivered to the world. Whoa, does that reframe wealth? Now, we know that a mother like my wife who takes care of kids and grandkids, tremendous amount of value on a national scale, Martin Luther King. My God, the value he delivered that was totally outside the monetary world. But if you choose to be in the commercial world and you are delivering iPhones or services or ways to make people's lives better or more expanding or, or more entertaining or just more wonderful, my gosh, and you collect certificates of appreciation, you can be proud of that. That is one of the major reframes in the book. Man, that's good. That's really good. So obviously we want a positive outcome here. We we want the right type of cultural shift. 
Um, but before we explore that, we've got to explore what's going to happen if we stay on the track. Because the track that we're on is is the road to destruction. Uh, the, the economy is not, you know, rebounding well and everyone will get on the news and they'll try and make you feel like you're crazy or you're uneducated and you don't really understand. <laughs> and they're saying, no, these things are good. And this inflation, which is an inflation, but it is inflation. Um, and really it's hyperinflation. The, the narratives are just out of, I'm someone who kind of lives in the space and I like watching the news and reading the op-ed and it's all kind of like, it's just hard to follow. It's, it's a TV show that's incredibly complex and hard to follow. Uh, so let's just talk about what, what does it look like if we continue down the wrong road? There, there's no one really bucking the narrative um, and, and society just gets more polarized. And we, we have this group of people who believe that they are the have nots when really, you know, you've won the cosmic whatever you believe in. You've won the cosmic lottery <laughs> being born or brought to or dropped out of. But if you end up here on this little patch of soil that we have from coast to coast, border to border called the United States, you hit the lottery. Everyone, the homeless person out there is in the top one percent uh, of of wealth and of services available to them than any other billions of people on the earth and the 337, 340 million that are here, man, we, we couldn't have asked for better, you know, but if we keep heading down the wrong road, uh, what, what does that look like? Uh, and, and we'll, we'll try and bring the narrative up. You know, it, it can be as bad. You don't have to sugarcoat it if it's real bad, uh, <laughs> but, uh, well, we'll hit the low now so we can no, go so back we can up end on a high note. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I did a, a video blog called money or power. And so if you are moving towards more equality of outcome, I would say suggest to somebody who wants to do that, oh, this is a voluntary system. Uh, no, no, no. We, you know, we had need to organize it and have laws and whatever. So, but I mean, if people choose not to obey the laws, that would be no, no, no. We, they have to obey the laws. If they refuse to obey the, obey the laws, uh, then you're just going to what? Send them a notice? Uh, no, no. They have to obey. So if they don't, then you're going to send armed forces to to help them uh yeah and if they refuse you're going to kill them well it never comes to that because they won't refuse but they understand that they're <laughs> under the threat of that so if we move to an equality of outcome if we continue down this path there is only one process that happens and that is power and inevitably what happens, a bunch of laws are passed, equality is trying to determine an outcome, and it doesn't quite work because people, you know, they'll manipulate it. You had people trying to uh, manipulate the laws for their favor. There's other people who didn't like it. And so as a result, as in most countries who start down a path of power, is that you need more power in order to keep your power. And it becomes you know, from my perspective, a downward spiral. And then once it goes so far, it's very difficult to turn back. But America, like you say, we've hit the lottery. I mean, I was born in 1947. So I have seen the ascension from World War II, you know, all the way up to today. 
And I think you're right. This has been a magical time. And I believe that the American people have the choice and the ability to say what they want. And the, the hope is that there's enough people that will say, wait a minute, whoa, our original concept, our culture, our belief systems are around personal freedom and expanding personal choice. And as a result, you know, we'll see that the pendulum has gone too far and comes back. That's the hope. <laughs> That's the hope. Yeah, that, that scenario you described for uh, <laughs> for everyone who's not connecting the dots, it's, it's manifest a few times in history, um, a few times in the last hundred years, actually. And uh, it's not good. It, it's very authoritarian. Um, you know, there are some of the superstars on that stage, like uh, Hitler is one or Stalin or Mao. And there's some lesser known figures, Mussolini, you know, kind of the uh, the little brother despot. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it's it's not good. That that thought pattern that uh, <laughs> that mm -hmm. you just took us through. Um, those are good questions. And one of the things of the show is, hey, you know, what does it mean to be uncloseted in whatever? I say uncloseted conservative. You can be uh, an uncloseted free market capitalist or, um, you know, one of my relatives is a lesbian, is a leftist, a Democrat, but she's in the closet about being pro-gun. She's got guns. Her kids know how to use the guns. You can be in the closet about a lot of things. Yeah. Uh, so when we can That's just out, fascinating how that closet has shifted who's in it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so when when you're truly free, when you can share your thoughts, your opinions, your beliefs, and mm -hmm. that's what a safe space really is. Oh, a indeed. place of diversity of thought. Hey, I can share my my uh, dissident view. I can share my opinion. I can share my belief, which will allow us to have a conversation. Maybe my opinion is wrong or uninformed. And now we can talk about it and you can better inform me and I can take on your belief. But we need to have the space. We, it's so funny because we need to actually have a safe play, a safe space in order for that process to happen. That, that's what civil discourse is. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm obviously, I'm a fan of a few economists myself, uh, uh, Charles Murray, I'm reading his book mm -hmm. right now, Losing Ground. It's an excellent book. It's an older one, um, but it's it's post Moynihan Report. So it's got some good data in it that's still relevant today. Thomas L., brilliant economist, um, and, and many, many others. Uh, so guys, pick up one of these books, get the audio book. I don't care if you read it or listen to it or watch it or, or whatever, um, but you need to become familiar with these, these principles um, and and then maybe pick up some history books as well and kind of marry uh, the economic cycles with atrocities that have occurred in history, you know, because there's there's mm -hmm. a correlation there. Uh, so maybe uh, take a look at that. So let's let's climb out of the hole some. Um, I think the founders created a, a very resilient, not just a robust, but a resilient system Um America has dealt with socialism and communism in the past. We, we've had an American Socialist Party, an American Communist Party. We've had prominent members of federal government in those parties in the uh, the, the 1930s, probably mm -hmm. until the 70s. Mm -hmm. um, so my hope is that these guys, you know, the guys at the boat, their their system is so resilient that we we climb out of this hole again. Um, it's not going to be pretty. There, there's very likely an unavoidable depression coming our way. Um, 
So if we can, if we have a message of hope, <laughs> what does that look like? Is it us talking to our neighbors? Um, are we stockpiling gas and gold and guns? <laughs> uh, uh, you know, uh, what, what's what's a yeah. message of hope, or or maybe some some advice for the listener that's like, oh, maybe I need to change my behaviors. Maybe I need to change the things, the way in which I frame the things I speak about. Oh, my gosh, you, you bring up so many things that are also important, and I'm trying to pick and choose here. I think one of the challenges we face is that our brains are set up for, to, for a le powerful leadership position, be it religion, be it politics, be it when we were tribal, that we operate when we have more certainty, we're confident of what happens and somebody is in control. Now, to, to live in a world where you are negotiating that world by contacting lots of different people, the rules are rather broad. You've got to create your own space. You've got to create your relationships. That is a really happy place for the Steve Jobs, for the entrepreneurs of the world, and it's we've had a creative time <clears throat> technologically in the last uh, 30 years. But I think most people, at some point, they say, oh, just give me something. And my hope is, and this is going to sound strange. I was brought up as a Christian evangelical. My father was a preacher. I no longer have those fundamental evangelical beliefs. But I think we're almost ready for a spiritual revolution. If we look at the postmodernist philosophy, which correlates with progressive politics, where everything is determined in a context of, of race or uh, outcomes, and, and those are shifting contexts, so you don't know when you are on the in and when you're on the out, I believe that 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 is going to create enough pain for people that there's a huge empty spot for someone to come along and give us all some moral, some ethical, spiritual, religious, or some context that we can all come back together with uh, respect for each other. My my personal code is respect for the private for the independence and the integrity of every individual. And if we can come together and realize that that is a way to respect ourselves, then I think we have the ability to grow that in a way that we're going to see a much better outcome for America. Mm. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, you, you mentioned uh, equity twice uh, in, in the last five minutes or so. And uh, I, I'm trying to get a meeting with uh, Loudoun County has a new CEO that's chief equity officer. Um, and it's, it's very interesting. I look at this guy, Dr. Carl Rush, um, who studied at, at my alma mater is where his PhD is from, which is Liberty University. And it's just very, it's just all very interesting to me. Um, so maybe I'll get this meeting. Maybe I won't. But when I have someone's ear, when, I, when I've gotten into a good conversation with someone about uh, societal issues, uh, policy, whatever, sounds like conversations that you're having as well. 
Um, and then many of these uh, talking points are probably uh, in your book, which is the term self-help is thrown out so much. There are a lot of help books that are trash. Um, just in speaking with you, I'm positive that your uh, book is not of those, but like Ibram X. Kendi's self-help books, who I had the displeasure of listening to him give a talk to Fairfax County Public Schools a few weeks ago. I, I can only imagine the nonsense that's uh, in his book. Um, but anyway, I digress. In policy, and I, I've asked every policymaker I've had an audience with, state senators, state legislators, and members of federal Congress, a governor or two, in policymaking, as a matter of law, what does equity mean? I asked them this because in my view, you know, I, I grew up and, and you're in finance. You grew up in finance. And in my view, there, there are a couple different like equity, like a stake in a company, a percentage that you own. There's equity of value that you have in a property, real estate, residential, whatever. Um, there, there's that type of financial equity. But they really did change the meaning of words. So they're trying to say equality of outcome, making all of the outcomes the same is equitable. And then they want to write laws and policies and even even corporate policies from hiring to salary to uh, handling workplace issues, whether the procedures are that they want to make all this stuff equitable. In my view, equity as a point of policy means racism pointed at white people. Uh, and it's not about equality anymore. It's actually about better than I'll, I'll get, you know, you and I can apply <laughs> for the same job. Maybe it's in finance where you actually have the experience, but I get plus whatever points because I'm black and I'm from, you know, tri-state area of New York. And it's just nuts. And I just see society treating injustice with injustice and calling it equity. Yeah. Uh, my you, biggest concern here is that it's going to produce more fear of somebody who is other than us. Mm. A short example, I belong to a uh, transformational group. And in one of the large sessions, they divided everybody by race. And all of a sudden I was thinking, you know, in this group, it just didn't matter. No, who, nobody gave a shit about what race, <laughs> color, background, because what we were about was heart to heart. You as an individual, me as an individual. And all of a sudden I found myself thinking, oh, what are they talking about? Are they talking about me as a white person or what are they thinking? Uh, and <laughs> such a terrible and, idea. <laughs> and so if we start looking at outcomes and equity of outcomes, you know it can't be fair. <laughs> so I'm going to say, wait a minute, that's not fair. You're going to say, oh, wait a minute. I came from disadvantaged background. I, I need to get more. So all of a sudden now, we are not only thinking about people on racial or background or religious uh, means, what we're now is evaluating what they get in a one pie model. And you want to talk about racism? You want to talk about increasing uh, or decreasing the amount of trust and love and concern we have each other? Divide us up and try to make it equitable. We're going to have a, a big backlash. 
I'm trying to find uh, something. I I don't know if I'll be able to find it. So I'll say people trust me at my word, but people don't because I got a lot of uh, backlash from the videos I posted. Um, here, I'll I'll just show the screen so people have something to look at. So this this is the United States uh, Census. No, it's not. That's not it. Where I just lost it. Uh, oh, maybe it's this link. Uh, da, 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 background. Where's the actual data? I hate when I go for data and they don't give it to me. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, guys, this is the United States Census Bureau. Okay. It doesn't get any more authoritative than this when we're talking about raw data. Um, these are the same types of nerds that are like, at the IRS or, or like, these are the data folks. Okay. They, they love it. They live it, breathe it. Anyway, go to their website and on there, you can see the demographic breakdowns by race of Americans. If, if you're so inclined, this is one of the things that drives me crazy. Um, and I rail against what I call like black America, black cultural America, uh, and I, I try and get in and get an audience um, with apparently my people. You know, I, I don't say we're African-American because <laughs> I'm from I'm not from Africa. I'll probably never visit unless I'm going on like a hunt or something. Um, but anyway, I digress. 75, you know, the words majority and minority actually mean something. OK, these words are real words. 75 percent of Americans are white. However, that breaks down Polish, English, German, whatever. We, we don't even care enough about white people to, to have those same breakdowns, like what type of white person you are, tech American. Um, and then one, Africa is not even a country. It's a continent. So it's like, are you Ghanese or are you a Nigerian? Like what? Yeah, and, and nine out of 10 African-Americans I know are white. Uh, they're actually from Africa. They speak French and they speak all these other languages and black Americans make fun of them. Uh, but anyway, I digress again. The words mean something. 75% of Americans are white. That's why it's called the majority. 13, last time I looked, it was 13.7% of Americans were black. Okay. Uh, and then some, the, the other large, but still minority group is Hispanic or Latino, other, whatever, they say so that means when we're looking at stuff like casting when we're looking at stuff like uh leadership in a company if a company had a hundred managing directors reality would dictate that about 13 of them would be black or if a show had a hundred cast members that and it was in america about 13 of them would be black but equity and chasing this this cultural equity, social justice warrior, wants everything to be about 50-50. Um, that same farm that I was at, impossibly diverse. Every color of the rainbow, every sexuality of the rainbow, uh, every you know popular world religion or even fringe world religions, they, they were groups from all. The, I mean, this, this is one of the most truly organically inclusive places I've ever witnessed. And they were still chasing the equity monster. For whatever stupid reason so i looked at the mds and they were already it was like this was a couple of years ago it was like 14 percent of the managing directors were black and i'm like wait a minute this is a zero-sum game this is the black population is the black population for us to be huge to be six hundred thousand employees if we make 20 percent of our mds uh black another company a google or a deloitte or something they actually can't like we're, we're not creating 
highly qualified, you know, uh, 40 to 60 year old black people. You were not making more of those. We got what we got. <laughs> so just, just root yourself in reality, guys. Root yourself in reality. It's okay. When I, when I go to my church, black people are the minority in my church. Probably about 13%. <laughs> that's okay. It's okay. Math isn't racist. We can lean into it. It's okay. Um, if you want to be surrounded exclusively by black people, uh, not in an underprivileged, underserved, uh, you know, leftist crap hole American city. Uh, if you want to be surrounded by mostly black people, then move to Africa. That's, that's the obvious answer. And they have countries there where the numbers are reversed. Um, you know, 10 out of every hundred people are white. Yeah. Well, what you brought up about, you know, 40 and 50 year olds, you, you know, that there's not much change there. But if I, if I look at the conclusion of my book and look at what really concerns me and what brings tears to my eyes is the educational and hope for kids in certain cultures and demographics. Our school systems, our attitude, our belief, and our hope. I mean, if you don't have hope, if you don't have a belief about the future, if you don't have a larger picture about your culture, it's no wonder we're seeing so much drugs, so much crime, so much dysfunction and hatred because the kids just don't have hope. And this is not a simple solution, but I see as education as one of the biggest impacts that we can do. And, and for me, seeing the limitations on uh, private schools or charter schools and seeing the fight against educational reforms. Oh my gosh, if I look at my kids and what we did for them educationally, it nothing would stop us from give, getting our kids a good education. What if every parent in every culture and every school board all said, we're not going to let anything stop us from giving our kids a good education so they have hope? What if we were going to rip down anything that stood in these children's ways? Something that hurts children is not going to be tolerated. Oh my gosh, in a generation, we would have a different world. Guys, eight out of 10 Americans are completely dissatisfied with work miserable and they hate going into their job. This is a nut statistic. I can't believe so many people live that reality, especially since there are more jobs than people. That means it's actually easier for you to get into the career of your dreams, to get that dream job. This is something I can coach you through. No matter the company, the industry, no matter your education, qualifications, or experience. Guys, I've built a successful career in more than five different industries. I was always promoted ahead of my peers. I was always put in positions of more and more responsibility and leadership. This is something that I can help you achieve for yourself. Guys, you know and love me as the host of The Joe Mobley Show, and now we can have a one-on-one -on -one relationship with me as your career pivot coach. 
All you got to do is jump on a discovery call with me and see if this is the right move for you to make in 2023 and why this is the best time. Book that discovery call. Go to thejoemobleyshow.com slash coach. That's thejoemobleyshow.com slash coach. Book a time today. Guys, my time is limited. The spots are gonna fill up and then I'm not going to be able to coach you immediately. I'm gonna have to put you on the wait list, but you're gonna do the right thing. You're gonna go to thejoemobleyshow.com slash coach right now. Well, you know, sadly, uh, this is something as an older white man, I'm sure that Richard would, doesn't say in his public speaking things, but that's okay. I'm here. I'll say it for him. This is a sad reality. When we look at culture, um, which culture, if you etymology, if you, uh, what's the word? Etymology. Etymologize. I think that's the word. Yeah. Uh, if, you, <laughs> okay. if you break down the word culture, you know, uh, just like you said earlier, mankind, we are designed to gravitate towards something and it's not inappropriate to say worship we are designed to mm -hmm. worship something and it can be a creator mm -hmm. it can be a religious figure uh, oftentimes it's things like money our marriage our career our kids yep. something like that um so the cult of worship it, it, culture is the thing that society is deciding is worthy to be worshiped and in in black culture um there are a lot of frivolities that we fall and pray to things like, you know, you look at the music, the writing, uh, even poetry and other art forms, even, even, uh, Broadway plays to come out of black and minority, uh, composers and talent, the, the thing, the culture, the thing to be worshiped is frivolities. It's athletic ability, singing, dancing, cars, clothes, shoes. Um, oh my gosh, when I was growing up, shoes were like, you know, your public stature, like your, your net worth was really represented in shoes, Jordans and, and the shoes that cost mm -hmm. them. There's, there are things called sneakerheads. I don't know if you're aware, um, <laughs> but they, they collect shoes like crazy. And hey, guys, the shoes aren't bad. They're, they're kind of neutral. I, I own a pair of Jordans. They're in my trunk in case I am feeling particularly young one day and I want to step out and play basketball. I've got a basketball <laughs> and I have a literal pair of Jordans in my trunk right now. They're just always there. Um, but we've got to to pivot to things that are actually worthy of being sought. And outside of the religious right, um, there are things that are going to advance the individual, advance the society and the community. And learning is it. Learning is the top thing, uh, you know, and you look at those those things, the formula for success graduating high school that includes just getting a GED, just take the test get a job work save money spend less than you make that that's a formula for success get married before you have kids even if you knock up your girlfriend you got like 40 weeks to marry this girl before the baby is born that that's the thing so some people confuse the issue it, it's not even i do believe that you should get married before you have sex you knock up your girlfriend and you guys are having this baby, marry the girl. Come on. It's not that hard. Uh, but an, another one of those things is we've got to restore education, reading the pursuit of knowledge to where it's supposed to be culturally. And the, the black icons of today versus the past are in stark contrast. You, I, I say all the time, you look at Booker T. Washington, you look at Frederick Douglass. These are men who had to teach themselves how to read. I am so grateful that 
that we had advanced enough that I had someone to teach me how to read mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because that is tough. Reading unlocks everything. You know, the, yep. the reader lives 10,000 lives. Um, so these men, they get off at the plantation. Literally, we're slaves. Get off the plantation. They pursue family. They pursue uh, the right to marry the mother of their children. Um, even though many slaves were married, the uh, many laws allowed for that back then. Mm -hmm. They pursue education immediately. I must learn how to read no matter what and ultimately end up in the federal Congress. And you can't tell me that we have it worse off than two guys that were born on a plantation, had to teach themselves how to read, uh, achieve uh, lawful freedom um, because of the uh, not the Emancipation Proclamation, but really because of legislative change and end up in the federal Congress. Those were good cultural values. They were pursuing the right things, not cars, clothes, boats, and all of this nonsense. Um, so you nailed it. We, we have got to restore education and we've got to fight for the future of children. We're fortunate enough we homeschool our kids. Um, and, and I do think that that's a wonderful way to educate you know, a family. I don't think that you can get a critical mass there. I, I don't think you'll get to a point where eight out of 10 kids are homeschooled. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure that that's ever been that way anywhere. Um, so we, we got to do something with the department of, uh, I say the department of miseducation, but uh, <laughs> the department of education needs some kind of reform. And, and you're right. Parents, adults ought to be running people out of town that are, Yep. that are putting things that are harmful for children for and children. Schools. Absolutely. There's so many things you brought up and one of them is the substitution. And many of us have a hole in our heart. I know that my growing up, I had a huge hole in my heart and then we substitute things for it. You know, the, the Jordan shoes, the, on another level, the cars, the mansions, the uh, trophy spouse, Whatever it is. I, I usually say boats and hose. I tried not to say it, but yeah. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> that's, that's what the music is about. It's yeah. cars, clothes, boats, and hose. That's right. That's and in banner. that pursuit, just like gambling or sex or anything else that you're trying to fill that emptiness, it satisfies, gives you a rush, and then the letdown. Then you go chase it again, chase it again. But what if money were shifted? to delivering value, to a certificate of appreciation, then all of a sudden that money has a whole new set of meanings that I delivered value to somebody else, which says a lot about me, my character, my meaning, my mission in life. So that's where I'd like to see the shift uh, around wealth from accumulating things to fill that emptiness to delivering value to others to expand their lives. So is it trite to say this? Um, I don't know who to attribute the quote to. The first person that I heard say it was Tony Robbins. Um, but, you know, you want to be a millionaire, help a million people. You want to be a billionaire, help a billion people. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if, if each of them gave you a dollar for the value you delivered, you'd be a millionaire, a billionaire. And of course, there's not going to be a one-for-one -one trade off. It's really maybe 10% of them are going to pay you for your services. But uh, is, it, is it trite to kind of think in those terms? Or is that still... No, I think that's it. You know, if when I have my clients come to me or we work in our groups, we create a vision board. And normally vision boards are cars and yachts and planes and mansions yeah. and 
trophy sure. spouses. But we say our vision board is what is the value we're going to deliver? What is our unique character, our love, our passions, our abilities? Because we're all so different. Now, once we get that, then we can say, what do I need to do to deliver that value? Then we work our back. What knowledge, skills, abilities do I need? Who do I need to talk to? What do I need to do tomorrow? So that vision board becomes very different. Then it becomes a process, not an outcome. And this is really important. If we want to get outcomes, if we continually develop our process, that means we're going to continually learn we're going to check to see how we're doing. We go back to process and we continue to improve our lives. And I'm a big process guy myself. One of those processes, if, if you're a young man and you want to put a trophy wife on your vision board, uh, get with someone <laughs> like Richard. Get with someone like Richard or a financial advisor. Run something called a total cost burden analysis. <laughs> and, uh, <see laughs> you ever do a total cost burden analysis on a trophy wife oh my gosh it might be more worth your while to just find a, a, a spouse that will love you and and you can serve them well and they'll love you well <laughs> <laughs> i've never thought of it in those terms thank you i i do I, do I, that, one that'll for, never uh, go away in my mind do one for clients say oh these are great goals let's let's run total cost burden analysis, analysis. I, i'm gonna add that wise. to my repertoire thank you i've learned something today it's uh it's a funny one um i i had an opportunity in some leadership positions i had and i got to be the, the bearer of bad news to, to bring the team to reality hey let's look at let's run the numbers on this over these different periods of performance so i got to be that guy uh, which if you've ever watched Parks and Rec, there's a character named Ben Wyatt on there um, who marries the, the lead character. And he's the uh, he's the the Debbie Downer bearer of bad news on the show with all things finance. Um, but I think he's hilarious. It makes a lot of sense to me. Um, well, we are about out of time. Um, I just uh, I, I wish. I had time to read the book. Um, I'm, I'm sure that I will, and we'll have to have you back on. I really enjoyed our conversation. Okay. Uh, but I, I do want to give you time to just get some, some final points out there. Um, lots of listeners. I, I know they're going to uh, enjoy this conversation. And uh, guys, you can order the book. You can go to the website, find out more about Richard. It's conversions.money. It's conversions. It's conversations. Uh, conversations yeah. <laughs> we're, we're not converting. Uh, <laughs> well, maybe we are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's maybe uh, you're prescient. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. Um, you know, converting things into value, man, value delivered. That's that's what the world is about. That's the whole thing. Uh, but anyway, I digress. Uh, you can type it in. It's conversations.money or, you know, you're watching on a touch screen. You can literally click it with your finger and a click of a button. Now, if you can't do that, that's some true laziness. I, I, I think high, more highly of my audience than that. Uh, so just scroll under our talking heads. If you're a podcast listener, after you like, share, rate, review, do all that wonderful stuff, uh, then scroll on down to the show notes and, and click on that. Um, and uh, are you on social media? I didn't even get to look. Uh, yeah, you, you can uh, reach me at LinkedIn, uh, Richard Friesen. And uh, 
there we're starting to crank up some other social media. I've been remiss in that because I love my connection with people and my writing and uh, marketing is, oh, come on, that's so complex. So that's one of my areas where I could use some more work. Oh, man. Well, hey, that's what I do. So maybe we'll talk some time down the road. Uh, but guys, uh, I, I will make sure that Richard's LinkedIn is there as well. So go ahead, connect with them, uh, follow them. And uh, Richard, take it away. Well, thank you. The If we're looking at your life and you want to make changes, you can start with awareness, acceptance of what you discover, and then with agency, decide what do you want now. And those are the golden keys, we call them. So there's a lot of exercises in the book. There's about a dozen exercises. In fact, I'm going to give you a free course online. If you go to uh, conversations.money slash Mobley, I will arrange a free course that you can follow along with the book. Well, awesome. I appreciate that. Here, I'll get that on the screen as well, because people, if they can't see it, then they'll they'll complain. Mm -hmm. It's very, it's... Very interesting. That's it. Conversations.money slash Mobley. And I'll set you up with a free online course. Well, hey, I appreciate that. I really enjoyed this conversation. Um, and uh, it's it's always interesting to watch the analytics because the as a content creator, it's really weird to try and, and create good content. And you really just have to ditch that and have a great conversation with people. Um, because someone will tell a story about their cat they had in high school and that will be the thing that gets 5 million views and <laughs> all the downloads and all the business to the website. And it's like, what? Uh, yeah, not kidding. I wish I were. Someone told the story about a, a fight that they had with a high school teacher once or a guidance counselor or something, uh, an argument. And that's one of the most listened thing of all the content I've made over two years. And that's the thing that everyone goes to. And it's like, you can't. You okay, can't well, next time that. I'll tell you stories about trading on the floor. Oh, oh my man. gosh. <laughs> oh, <laughs> there's, man. There's, there's a lot of stories there that'll just uh, set your hair on end. All right. Well, Richard Friesen, guys, the website is conversations.money. Uh, go there, uh, conversations.money slash Mobley to get the free course. And uh, we, we will have you back again sometime soon. Joe, it's been such a pleasure. You take good care, take good care of the kids, and uh, we'll talk soon. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. If that was the first prayer you've ever prayed, I hope it won't be the last. Until next time, this is The Joe Mobley Show.